Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Steve Zerby, the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Owens Corning, a roughly $7 billion revenue company that produces roofing, insulation, and composite materials. Steve's been with the company for more than two decades and has been in his current role for roughly eight and a half years. Among a total team of 20,000 employees, IT is only 1% of the total. I look forward to learning from him how he does a lot with relatively few employees, how he motivates them to stay at Owings Corning, and a variety of other topics. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Loonkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The, the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this a last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember Transmit Security. And now for a word from our partner Zoho and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Yes, Peter. Even before COVID hit, most savvy private equity businesses were looking for recession-proof companies as their targets. Or businesses that are thriving in the fourth industrial revolution, meaning those that are blurring the lines between physical, digital, and biological spheres. We at Zoho are positioned to help CIOs blur the physical and digital divide. Be it serving your customers, we provide marketing, sales, and support solutions. Or running your operations, we provide HR and finance tools. Or empowering your people, we provide powerful business intelligence, collaboration, and communication tools. Or for building differentiation, we provide business process optimization, low-code and no-code platforms to deliver apps faster. Learn more on how Zoho enables CIOs to thrive in the fourth industrial revolution at Zoho.com. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Steve, welcome to the broadcast. Great to speak with you. Thank you, Peter. Good to be here. Well, Steve, um, I, I provided a very brief overview as to Owens Corning's business. would love to have you kind of uh, dial us in a little bit further, um, especially somebody who has been as, with the organization for quite some time. Perhaps you can give us a bit of an overview. Sure, sure. Owens Corning is a, a global manufacturer. We operate in 30 some odd countries around the world uh, in terms of our manufacturing facilities. Three big businesses. Um, our uh, residential roofing business is 
one that most people don't necessarily identify us with because um, um, we don't think about what brand a roof is all the time until it comes time to buy one. Uh, we also have our insulation business, which is most identified by the, uh, the pink color of our uh, insulation, our corporate mascot, the Pink Panther. And then um, the third business we have is our composite glass business. And you can think about this business as a business that makes materials go into all sorts of final products, phones, boats, cars, uh, wind turbine blades, those sorts of things. So three uh, very, very interesting and, and growing businesses, all oddly enough, uh, fairly equal size but um, uh, completely different markets when you think about composites versus maybe our building materials businesses. So um, uh, great, great company. I, our organization at Owens Corning, as you said, uh, inside of the technology function is about 200 people inside of a company of somewhere between 19 and, and 20,000 employees. Yeah, that's remarkable. I, I'd love to uh, understand further about how you make that work. But before we do, though, I want to also just talk about uh, your role as chief information officer. What you just described, obviously, is very tactile, what you're producing. Mm -hmm. Talk mm -hmm. a bit about the role that technology and digital play uh, in, in an organization like yours. Yeah, I've got the um, a really kind of unique and exciting opportunity to lead what you would think of as traditional IT in a company uh, like ours. Um, also have the analytics function rolling up into our organization, uh, our advanced manufacturing, which is obviously a, a practice that's fairly unique to a manufacturing company like ours, uh, rolls up into uh, my organization. So you can think of that kind of as the OT world, if you will, as well as the IT world. And then lastly, our digital practice as well. So um, from a consolidated point of view, it's it's really, I think, a unique opportunity for us to create leverage across those different programs uh, without uh, creating duplicity in, in organizations and spend. And honestly, that's the way you have to operate uh, if you're going to operate an organization with 200 people across 33 countries and, and uh, 19,000 employees. Well, as we've talked about it a couple of different times now, um, let's, uh, I would love to understand how do you do so much with so few people? How can an organization as large as yours uh, operate and, and, and your organization do what it does with only 200 people? Yeah, I, I mean, it, there's a couple of facets to it, as you would probably expect, Peter. Uh, you know, the size of organization is often the size of the demands and portfolio of work to be accomplished in an organization. And the size of a portfolio or work to be done is all often shaped by, um, you know, how far up the kind of the strategy ideation stack you can get your organization. In other words, shape the demand uh, before the demand shapes you as an organization. So, you know, part of the key is, is having a, a handful of, of really broad and experienced IT functional leaders that stay very well connected to our businesses and sit on the various leadership teams of those businesses. And, you know, that's all about figuring out what the right work to do to advance the strategies of the company or contribute to those strategies are and eliminate the work that doesn't. And um, I think it is very, very difficult to try and shape the size of your organization if you can't shape the size of the work coming at the organization. So that's certainly a big part of uh, what allows us to operate at that level. Um, clearly, you can imagine we use a lot of resources on the outside of our company in order to get our work done. 
So, you know, those kind of tactical phrases you hear people use, like, you know, be a good teammate, learn how to to leverage external resources, et cetera, et cetera, are are really mantras we have to live by. I mean, we we really have to get great and be great at um, getting the best out of our vendor ecosystem, if you will, in order to help us get our, our work done, um, have folks to do great work for us and repeat work for us that way. Um, and we've got to have leaders that know how to get get the very best out of anybody, regardless of the badge you wear. Um, and then lastly, I would say, I think retention in an organization this um, small is really important. Um, if you're an organization that has 10,000 IT employees and you lose five, you know, the chances of those five being debilitating to you is, I would think, relatively low. If you have an organization of 200 and you lose five, um, I think the probability of that being significant for you is is much, much higher. So, you know, the workplace that we have, the way we work together, the brand that we kind of advertise as part of our function that attracts people has to be very authentic so that when they get here, um, we actually are able to retain them. So I think those are three really important elements into how do you operate a small organization inside of a large company. Well, I know from our past conversations that, that you, uh, you, uh, the people topic is one that is uh, a particular focus for you, as, as is the emphasis on culture. And you started to allude to some of that and the importance of building the kind of culture that will lead people to stay. I know you're also blessed with very low attrition rates. Um, talk a bit about how you have formed or even some of the attributes of the culture that you believe resonate with the, the people who choose to stay at Owings Corning. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that, you know, as a technology organization, we probably spend as much time talking about culture or more so behavior than we do technology uh, on any given day at any given time. And, and I think that's really, really, really important. You know, the, the thing I would kind of call out Peter, and I'm sure you've seen this a million times in your career is often you'll get a group of technology leaders together and, you know, somebody will say something like, well, what's the biggest asset we all have? And somebody will say they're people, right? I mean, that's the answer to give. And then about 30 seconds later, the topic will change to projects, technologies, and processes. And nobody ever mentioned people again, you know, in the course of that discussion. And, and I would just reflect on the fact that most of the time, really large projects in really large entities like ours, you know, it's all about a 1% gain here or a 2% gain there. And yet, what if we could all get 5% more out of the teams that we have, which would be very sustainable and hugely impactful to our company. So, so as an organization, we really focus on behaviors. Uh, behaviors, I think, um, really shape the experience employees have. I think on a recruiting front, if you're very crisp about what behaviors and life at your company looks like, it will attract uh, people that when they get here, there'll be no surprises and you'll get very high retention. I think it'll also repel a lot of people that won't join your company. And honestly, them not joining is probably just attrition that never happened then for you. So um, we try to be very, very clear about what some of those behaviors are for us. Um, and people that are here, we, we try every day to live up to that. And, and you know, as a result, we're blessed with uh, really low attrition, high work ethic. And the most important piece in terms of uh, all of that, I think, is really continuity. 
continuity for all your stakeholders, your big your technology programs. Uh, you know, low turnover means low disruption in those regards. And then we have the benefit of giving a lot of external perspective just because of the size of our organization that kind of keeps us fresh, right? We don't, the low turnover sometimes can lead to a very insular kind of attitude and perspective on things. But at the same time, having as much external perspective and really honoring that perspective as equal and important, um, I think keeps us very fresh that way. And how do you, you mentioned the reliance on external partners and forging really strong relationships with them. There are those who would say that, um, you know, a, a, a contractor to the organization is not going to be as loyal to as an employee will be. And there's always the risk, of course, that uh, you can lose them without the person even necessarily leaving the company that they work for that you've engaged with. Uh, so there's like an added dimension of complexity that could lead to a sort of like attrition, if you will. Um, talk a bit about how you manage those relationships such that you don't suffer the consequences of a, a, a major sort of um, throughput or, or change of resources among the contractors that you're engaging. Yeah, I think this is where I think about that whole kind of vendor contractor as a bit of an ecosystem, right, that you have to be really good at. And I think when you're not really good at, you you do face some of the perils that, that you described. But there's really two levels to it, I think, Peter. One is, you know, at the executive or management level, you need to be able to work with those third parties in a very authentic way and not a very commercial way necessarily all the time. Um, local account teams are in charge of commercials, right? Management teams are in charge of relationships and being able to get the best out of each other. And, you know, I can think of some, you know, pretty significant executives in many of the technology companies that we work with that will take our call in 15 minutes, will be very gracious with their time, um, we'll be very candid with the opportunities we think we have together, and we work really hard to live up to those. And it sounds very, very simple, but it turns out none of those um, are pieces that probably happen as much as they should in most, most company relationships. And I think the second tier then is just at the people level. Um, you know, every day that person that shows up to do work for you, whether they have your badge on or another badge, they make a choice about how much effort they give, how much how much they care about it, um, how much uh, extra that they're going to put into making it, you know, not a, a B plus job, but an A plus job or not an A minus job, but an A plus job. And then it's just incumbent on us to create an environment uh, and treat them in a way that we get that extra out of them. And again, it's that extra 1%, 5%. Um, that can make all the difference in the world. And, you know, uh, I've come to, to know after working across a lot of industries in my, in my career that word spreads pretty fast as to whether you're a great place to work or not a great place to work. And it goes way beyond the logo on your door. And, um, and the contractor and outsourced communities um, are pretty transient and communicative with each other. And once you concede that with this is a great place to work and you be you are treated extremely well and you get to work on interesting things with people that care about you, um, it, it just the momentum builds. And But it is a, a long uh, tail to get there. You can't do that overnight. You can probably destroy it overnight, but you certainly can't build it overnight. 
Yeah, very interesting. As a result of that, um, the 200 people that are your employees, would you say as you compare your organization to peer organizations that they are relatively more senior on average? Are they doing different kinds of things? Um, you know, how, how are you organized? And again, with so few resources as, em- as employees, um, how, how is that work? What sorts of work are they doing on average, if you would? Yeah, we, we, we end up actually with a pretty good balance in terms of seniority. Um, and that comes by a couple of different ways. We have a, a pretty successful early career program that uh, continues to, we have very, very high uh, retention rates in that program. We probably haven't lost more than, no kidding, one or two early career, what we would call early career employees in the last half decade. So uh, in our ability to attract them, bring them in uh, with an offer of giving them really big work really early in their career um, is something that's worked very well for us. On the senior end, uh, obviously, we always have folks that are retiring, but um, we've got folks that stay with us for a long time. So longevity and their experience and the impact that they can bring is is very, very significant. So the balance of kind of where they are in a career is actually, I think, pretty, pretty good for us. In terms of the work they do, uh, you know, we've got all of the classic functions you would think inside of IT from from infrastructure uh, to ERP and all of the probably less classic, but more growth uh, areas that you would expect from from digital to analytics to some of our OT related work uh, right now. So that's actually, I think, part of the retention story for us is because we are consolidated, but we also have these other functions that sometimes get broken out in other companies all in one, your ability to experience those and, and become a practitioner in those over time is, is very, very high. And, you know, I always uh, tell our early career folks, you know, pay more attention to the company you're joining than the job you're getting on day one, because great companies will give you lots of great jobs. Sometimes that great job can be attached to a bad company if you join it. And then when you're tired of that job, you have nowhere else to go. And, you know, our ability to create some mobility for employees inside the company, both in and out of our function, I think is something that, again, causes people not to need to leave to have a different experience. Um, so now we tend to be probably more functional on the business process side than maybe some companies a little less technical there. But then we've also got very, very technical folks when it comes to some of our, our other other disciplines. I I warn people all the time, just because we talk about behavior as being such a big deal to us, make no bones about it. At the end of the day, you can't wrap behavior about around a bunch of mediocre technical talent and have a great organization. Um, you have to be able to just wrap behavior around great technical talent and get technical people to think about behavior as much as they've thought about technology for the last 50 years. Um, so it's very much an and, not an or, or discussion for us. I wanted to also ask you, I mentioned at the outset that you've been in role for roughly eight and a half years now. And I wonder what advantages you find in uh, the continuity of that leadership. You know, there's some organizations, you're, you're uh, more than double the average tenure of a CIO. And in many cases, your company might have a CIO for two years and then bring in somebody else. And maybe that person might last two or three years. And 
naturally with each change of leader, um, even when somebody's succeeding somebody who was deemed successful, the new leader is going to be putting their fingerprints in some ways on the operation, making change, uh, et cetera. Um, yours is a story, as I say, of continuity. You've seen waves of technology. You've, you've probably introduced technologies at the beginning of your tenure that you're now, you know, sunsetting because they're, right. they're, they're no longer effective or no longer, um, you know, modern enough for, for the future practices of Owens Corning. Um, talk a bit about that perspective, if you would, as it is an, you know, a, a, an unusually long tenure. Yeah, I think Continuity is important, right? You described, Peter, the, the new person coming in and putting their fingerprints on it. And, you know, one of the real dangers of that, and I can remember, although it's been a while now, almost nine years ago now, um, you do have to be careful when you start to put your fingerprints on it as a, as a new entrant, because you got to remember those fingerprints that were there were put by all the people that are on your team today. And, um, you know, your ability to describe the change you're about ready to create as just something different, not making what was here wrong is just really, really, really important. So obviously continuity, um, you know, eliminates that, that danger. Um, you know, continuity also helps you with retaining a lot of your top talent. I mean, I would equate it a little bit to, um, you know, professional sports or very large collegiate sports, when you're recruiting talent, um, you know, the first thing they always want to know is how much time is left on the coach's contract that I'm about ready to go join. And, you know, the thinking is I don't want to go join somebody for four years and they're only there for two. And then I don't know what I'm getting myself into. So you know, I, I do think continuity um, helps your most talented people find comfort that if they feel good about what you've built, that doesn't have to be a worry for them during their at least immediate tenure. Uh, so I think that's really careful. The, you know, the downside of the continuity is you gotta make sure that you have uh, a good conduit to external perspective, right? Cause you can become, I think, very insular that way. And, and that's where honestly, probably in the last half of my tenure, I've spent more time being sure that the ecosystem of colleagues and contacts and insight we're getting from the outside is very, very strong. Because if not, um, you know, we could be insular to the point where we're not innovating. You know, we're, we're the best IT organization Owens Corning has, but we're one of the poorest IT organizations in the world. And we never want to be in that situation. So, um, I think it has its pluses and minuses like everything else. And like most things, if you know what those are, your ability to navigate them is usually pretty good. It's when you're blind to what some of those things are, I think, is where you see the most danger. By having a relatively small shop and fairly low attrition, are there any risks that you see, uh, Steve, in, in not having kind of that new blood who understand the technology of the future or, or understand where technology is going by virtue of being in an environment that, um, you know, that, that, that is more akin to where Owens Corning should be in five years, let's say, than where it is now? Well, I do think there are some dangers. Um, even if your attrition is, let, let's say in a given year, you, you know, for a 200 person um, team, you're going to go add six or eight people, pretty, pretty small numbers there. Um, I think you have to be thoughtful about where those six or eight come from. I think you want, you know, obviously some early career talent to join you. I think you have to to find some high impact mid-career acquisitions 
that you can go get in the marketplace that probably have good visibility and demonstrated expertise in some of the newer areas. So you have to add those to, to your team. Um, I think you may even um, add a few more senior folks in terms of just people that have career experience at different institutions. And again, I think of it a lot like building a sports team. You think about the different combination of what you need, not just in terms of skills, but in terms of experiences. So you, you have to be very thoughtful about that. Um, they're small numbers. And if you get them right incrementally, they make a difference. If you get them wrong, you don't really have the avenue to go change big numbers using a bunch of small acquisitions, right? I mean, once it's right, it's right. Once it's wrong, it's a long haul to get it fixed again. So I think that's a big part. And then the other part I, again, Peter, I would go back to is, you know, your vendor external colleague ecosystem just has to be strong. And I don't say that only from my own chair, but I get my extended leaders together every month for about a half a day. I would say nine out of the 10 times I get together, I have some sort of a dialogue around, you know, how much networking are they doing? How are they accelerating their work by learning from others outside of our company? It has to be not just something you desire they do, but it actually has to be an accountability. And if you're going to stay fresh that way, because if you don't, you don't have a mechanism to learn probably at the rate you need to. Steve, as you look to the future, are there are there any trends that particularly excite you? Some things that are beginning to make their way onto your roadmap that you'd care to share? Well, I think the one trend that I find quite exciting um, is this intersection of IT and OT. Um, you know, for years, if anybody familiar with big OT environments that are maybe 50 years, 75 years old, depending upon the age of your company, there was this IT systems run over here and manufacturing or OT systems run over there. And your only real concern was how do you keep them separated so that one doesn't impact the other adversely. And I think that whole dialogue's changed. I think today it's not how you keep them separated, but how do you actually integrate them in a way that can make a difference to your company? And you know, think use of enterprise analytics across both of those. Think contemporary cyber defenses across both of those. Um, those are kind of things that uh, begin to get quite exciting. Um, taking enterprise infrastructure, which basically is meant for years, being able to get information to every little piece of the company around the world, and now being able to do that with OT-related information, which used to be locked up inside the four walls of a, you know, a manufacturing facility or a production facility. I think that's a, a trend that um, not only is exciting but to the extent you can mobilize it uh, is a big difference maker in your company. And I can't stress how difficult that is when you have manufacturing assets that are half of, half of a century old and you have IT assets that are half of a decade old at most and trying to make them all work together. If you're, you're able to orchestrate that, I think that is a, a big, a big, big, big deal. And then, you know, I don't think anybody that's lived through the last year or so would be able to express enough how exciting the use of collaborative technologies is now uh, and that we're staring at in our companies. Um, you know, you could argue IT as a corporate function was never more valuable in the history of IT than it was in the last 18 months in our companies. And, um, you know, a good crisis 
is a good motivator for your entire company to use to learn to use collaboration technologies that honestly in some cases kind of limped along pre-pandemic. You know, the those that were interested learned, those that weren't interested didn't learn. And uh, you know, it was a bit of the oncoming train of the pandemic that caused everybody to be quick learners and quick adopters. And now you have um, a very well-schooled population for these kind of tools. And you can just imagine exponentially, you know, where that can go going forward with that that kind of momentum. Well, Steve Zerby, thank you so much for joining me on Technovation today. It's been very interesting to hear how you've managed uh, your operation at uh, Owens Corning over a long tenure. Some of the uh, philosophies that you've implemented that cut across the grain that are quite different from some of your peers and the ways in which you've made it work. I really appreciate you sharing your story. All right, Peter. Thank you so much.